Welcome to the show, everybody. We are so happy that you are here. But before we get into the meat of the show, we're going to pay some bills. So hang tight and we'll be right back. So our guest tonight is the founder of uh, Bobsled Marketing, which is a digital agency that helps established consumer brands grow their Amazon sales channels, which is pretty awesome. And she's running a remote business from a remote location. And she's going to tell us all about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Kiri Masters. Hey, hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really uh, Thank you for it. saying yes, because you, you actually, you told us that you actually heard an episode of the Marketing Geeks and you still agreed to be on the show. So I do my research. Uh, let me let me ask you real quick, Carrie, uh, about the, the name Bobsled Marketing. Yeah. Now, does this have any connection to the movie Cool Runnings at all? No, it doesn't. Oh. But I do get I do get asked that and it does people are like, is there an Australian bobsled team? Because that's that sounds just as as obscure as a Jamaican bobsled team. But it does. Yeah. No, th- there's the the short story is um when my husband and I got married, we got sort of a, a kooky present from um one of our friends, which was a toboggan, which I think we're gonna come back to later in the show, but I had a lighting, a, a DIY lighting company and I've turned it into a a wall lamp, this toboggan. It was sitting on the wall. I'm like, well, I need to name my company something, I need to name it something. Looked around bobsled marketing that was the thing and uh at least initially tried to try to come up with a clever tagline something like will help your marketing <laughs> give your marketing a push or something like that could never come up with like the perfect tagline for it how about like feel the rhythm feel the ride like in the bo- that's in cool running yes <laughs> yes yeah so exactly like bobsled was the first thing you saw and you were like yeah i mean it's a good thing that i guess you didn't see <laughs> two dogs humping in the front yard wow. oh my god that would have been an awkward title <laughs> for a company yeah yeah Yeah. i might have kept looking but yeah yeah, there's there's probably someone listening who has like the perfect tagline like oh my god you should have just said well uh, yeah if if you've got any ideas hit me (laughs) up but i've been doing this for five years and surprisingly few people ask about the name all right make sure to tweet make sure to tweet at curie masters if you have a yeah. great idea for a bobsled tagline for bobsled Thank marketing. You. I love it. Well, well first of all i want to find out because you've got this really fascinating story you're running a remote company from a remote secret location oh it's not that secret but it, it's a lair, a lair. It, yeah so how how did you tell us how you ended up where you are like give us the chain of events that's it's really fascinating okay um, so I'm Australian, born and raised in Australia. I was early in my career. I was in the banking world, worked for a big retail bank in Australia, and then ultimately decided to move with my boyfriend, now husband, to New York in 2011. Um, got a job working at J.P. Morgan in New York. Did that for a few years, and while I had that job. Um, I decided to start a little business on the side just for fun. And it was a e-commerce business that sold do-it-yourself lamp kits. Okay. Like as neat, as niche as you can get. Like I I kept hearing this advice with the podcast I was listening to, like be super specific, pick a niche and like go even deeper in that niche. And I really took that um, advice to heart because I was selling online do it yourself 
lamp making kits to make lampshades and like floor lamps and stuff like that. So it was very, very specific. Um, and that was really, that was kind of a hobby for me, but one that I managed to learn about all things about running a business from setting up the, the store online. I set myself up on Etsy. I did all my own bookkeeping. I was filming videos on the weekends of tutorials and things like that. Some of which you can still find on YouTube and we we're just talking about it before the show, but there's one that's like the channel is still weirdly there. popular video of me making a lampshade. If you want to <laughs> so that was my... push that. We want to get that to, we want to get that. You said it was 121,000. We want to get that to like 121,001. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, life achievement unlocked. Um, yeah. So that was my first foray into entrepreneurship, starting this little company today is actually still in business and it's doing quite well. Um, it, we expanded it into more like craft suppliers. So it's, we're rebranding it to Makely. Um, maybe I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later, but that was how I got started sort of had the realization after a couple of years, if you'd believe it, that this wasn't going to pay my rent if I wanted to leave my job, my little Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's fun, but, um, so then I, I realized that after running that business and launching some of those products on Amazon, I knew enough about Amazon to kind of do some consulting. So I left my job, did not have, you know, really went out on a limb. I was um, at JP Morgan as a commercial banker working with um, business owners. My book of business was like three to $20 million companies. And so I'd got to know a lot of small business owners and learnt all about um, business credit and cash management. And what year was this? um, I left that job in 2000, early 2015, like January, 2015. So, so first of all, let me just rewind a little bit because you were, you were a banker at JP Morgan Chase and which is, uh, you know, a type of industry and, um, uh, that I would probably put, uh, under S for solace, uh, not, no judgment, just that's my own personal opinion. But what, what, what was the, was there a tipping point that you're like, I got to get out of here? Like what, what was it that made you say, I, I need to walk away and do something completely different? Yeah, I want to hear this. Oh, oh, you guys are digging deep. Um, <laughs> one. <laughs> hey, you said you listened to the show, man. <laughs> I, so I'd been dabbling in this hobby business for a couple of years and I, for most of my time in banking, I wasn't a commercial banker. I was actually on the, on the strategy side of strategy and marketing side, mostly. Okay. And, um, I salaried then I take it not, uh, yeah. 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 So I was kind of like redesigning business processes and stuff like that. And I, I got to know like the commercial banking team and, um, and I, I recognize, hey, if, if I went into sales and particularly if I went into this, like the, the small business side of things, I would get to speak with a lot of business owners and understand what things are like. And then I'd also learn all this stuff about business financials that I didn't really know before. So I, I took that job because I kind of thought I was really enjoying that entrepreneurial um, 
endeavor. And I thought, let me pick the most entrepreneurial job I could possibly get at the bank and then I'll, I'll move on. So I'd, I was, I was thinking about it for a, a couple of years beforehand, but one thing that kind of pushed me over the edge before I was like, certainly before I was financially ready to do that was I got diagnosed when I was 27 with type one diabetes, Oh wow! which is That's not pretty late the, to be diagnosed, right? It's very, it's very late. It's, it's fairly unusual, not, com, not completely unheard of, but quite unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and they caught it really early on. So it never ended up in the ER or anything like that, but it just, it, it just, made me think, you know, like it's not going to kill me anytime soon, but I don't want to, you know, keep working at a job that I don't really love. I I should go out and do what I want to do and and do this thing. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't given a, a, a death sentence or, you know, a year to live or anything like that by any stretch, but it just, that was probably one of the catalysts of me saying, I'm going to take, you know, the bull by the horns. I'm going to go out there, quit my job. I don't know what's going to happen. Worst thing is go back to the bank. People have done that before. Um, and so I, I left in. So, um, yeah. so this was more like a, a wake up call, I would say. So you had kind yeah. of like this wake up call with your, with a health scare. And yeah. so tell me um, the, the salary gap here though, because you've been doing your hobby for a while. Were you making mm-hmm. any sort of significant income with your hobby that made you think like this was going to be pretty easy transition or was this kind of like diving in? Like who knows what's going to happen? Like how, what kind of a salary gap are we talking here <laughs> between like leaving um, a secure JP Morgan, like well-respected company uh, outside of Andros, well-respected? Um, like, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> it was a hundred percent salary cut for sure. And because <laughs> um, my e-commerce business is not making in, e- e-commerce, it takes um, either a lot of in a lot of cash upfront mm-hmm. or a lot of years of continual reinvestment to actually start making a profit. And that's one thing that I've, uh, I've became very real to me running both yeah. an e-commerce business and a service business. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, um, did you, did you have like a, a safety net out of any kind or um, did you have like, uh, yeah. you know, you were in a relationship. Was there like, was yeah. there something to fall back on? Or was this really like, like the, the metaphor, like we're burning the ships and we're, we're just going for it here. Like, I'm just curious uh, what that was. Uh, yeah. So a, a little bit of both did have some savings. Um, I was also married and my husband had a, had a steady job. So it wasn't, I knew I had a, probably like a couple to a few months up my sleeve mm-hmm. and I could always, you know, I left on really good terms with my job and, I felt like it wasn't going to be too challenging for me to return back to the, to, to return back to a salary job. Yeah. But it it was a big, it was a big jump. And so what I decided to do was supplement that, um, business, which was a money pit still back then. (laughs) Um, and, and do some consulting and help some other established brands figure out their Amazon stuff. And that's really how my, um, yeah. agency was born. Well, it's the hallmark of any entrepreneur to be a risk taker, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. so admire, I admire the ability to take those massive, massive risks. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, yeah, let's talk about Amazon. So 
So you had kind of dabbled in, you mentioned like Etsy, you mentioned a few different networks of, or channels, sales channels. Um, so what made you finally settle on Amazon? Um, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I kept hearing about it. I've always listened to a lot of podcasts and I kept hearing about it on podcasts. And initially I was like, well, why would I sell on Amazon? It's a huge company. I'm a tiny company. I'm selling craft products and selling such a niche product. It doesn't make any sense. And then after a while, I just decide, decided, hey, why not? I'll just try it out. And um, I can't say that the, it was an overnight success. It took, like any channel, it took some investment, it took some effort to figure out how does the algorithm work? How does fulfillment work? What, you know, what kind of processes do I need to set up here? And so, and Amazon even back then, like it's a lot more complicated now, to be honest, because there's more programs and more rules and more other sellers. But back then it was still kind of complicated. Um, and uh, while I was still at the bank, I, ha I had some clients who were manufacturers and I'd ask them about their Amazon channel and they were like, oh, can't figure it out. Not never making any money. I know, I know that we could make more money with it, but we just, you know, don't have the time, don't have the right people to do it. And that really got my cogs turning when I was thinking about, I was already thinking about leaving that I could go and um, do, do some consulting. So how many, like how many active sellers are on Amazon right now? Like give us a, a reference point here. Cause I, I have, I've lost track. I know that it's There's a, over a million, over a million, active sellers. over a million sellers. Yep. And so, so at any point, did, yeah. did you want to get into the game of like manufacturing stuff in China, like that people are doing and then, uh, you know, doing drop shipping or was this just simply like, no, it's going to be a lateral business. I'm just going to do consulting work. Um, right. So did I ever think about not only helping other companies with their Amazon channel, but creating more brands of my own? Yeah. Um, no, because I, I recognized from my very small e-commerce operation that e-commerce and retail has that negative cash. And this is the, the ex-banker in me coming out has a negative cash flow cycle. So you need to spend money on inventory and distribution pay for your inventory before you get paid from a customer. And it's even worse if you're doing whole, uh, you're selling to retailers in the traditional sense, because they'll only pay you 90 days after they get your inventory. So you have a negative cash flow cycle here where you're spending money way before you make any money. And with a service-based business, if you do it right, you get paid before you do anything. So I had, in you know, this was my job. I didn't have other income coming in. I was watching my savings start slowly go down. I had no interest in... Um, pouring more cash into another brand, which would potentially take years to actually start turn, turning a profit, which was the case with my first business. So, so you're talking, okay. So you're, you're telling us about um, kind of getting into e-commerce has generally has a negative cash flow. So how, how do you coach companies to, to kind of work around that or get around that? Can you, can you talk a little bit about like how, how do you get around the negative cash flow aspect? And also just like, what's your process? Like when, when someone hires you to consult, like what, what do you generally do to help them with their business? So I'll give you a very unsatisfying answer is that yes. with bobsled. Um, we work with established brands who've already gone, gone through that whole 
painful mm. time a Very long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, when um, I first started the company, I was working with a lot of brands from who'd raised money on Kickstarter and a lot of startups, but over time um, was able to work with larger and larger brands, which they pay the <laughs> they pay their bills, and uh, um, that's not always the case when you're cash strapped um, small company in the beginning. So yeah, we we to, at Bobsled like we would typically only work with a company that does at least ten million in revenue a year, and at that point we're working with someone who has a dedicated e-commerce team, um, someone in charge of Amazon, um, and so that's the point that we got to with with bobsled but are, are these yeah. companies already on amazon that you're working with or are some of these companies running their private e-commerce doing 10 million in sales from their, their you know they're from their commercial website and now you're they're coming to amazon or is it a mix it's a, it's a mix at this stage amazon is something that most established consumer brands have tried to do um it's not so common that we would work anymore with a brand that has no idea about Amazon hasn't, hasn't at least tried it yet. So, uh, so you, when you made this transition, I'm going to get into like the nuts and bolts of the Amazon thing in a second, but I want to find out about the next kind of iteration of your, just your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, you ended up in Colombia, and I want to find out how that decision was made and how you run your business remotely from there. Sure. So after I'd, I set up bobsled um, and it was, it was just me in the beginning. And then my husband was like, Hey, that looks pretty fun working from home. Can I, can I come along? And so he ultimately left his job and started working with me. Um, once we started making money and then my first hire was, um, was a bookkeeper part-time. And then I hired this lady in who'd recently moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and was looking for a complete career change and everything with her move with her family and, out to Cleveland. And where did you find her? How did you find her? I found her on a site, which is still around today and doing awesome, called HireMyMom.com. HireMyMom. <laughs> I've not heard of that one. Awesome. Yeah. You can't make this up. Like when I, <laughs> I just wanted, I just want to tell everyone listening today, there's 30 people working at bobsled. It's like a full, you know, full on thing. But this is where I got started. Hiremymom.com found this woman who was in a big career transition, life transition, and, um, had no idea what she was getting into. I I'm pretty sure. And, uh, so she was in Cleveland. I was in Brooklyn. My husband was in Brooklyn. We had this tiny one bedroom apartment, which was our boiler room. Like he would do sales calls in the bedroom. I would do sales calls in the kitchen. It was just manic, just so full on. And we had Julie out in Cleveland and we're training her up and started to grow and get more clients and it became, had you, uh, sorry, yeah. had you or your husband ever trained an employee before or ever managed teams before? Is this a, mm. was this a transition in and of itself um, to, yes. to move into that management role? Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So I guess um, I'd had a couple of years of sales experience. So I had my husband and I really, I, I was, I was really into 
blogging and because that's what I did a lot in my first company was lots of videos and blogs and tutorial kind of content. So I carried that over to Bubsled and I was blogging more or less every week about Amazon marketing or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of managing people and stuff like that, it it was pretty new to me. I knew from listening to all these podcasts for many years, I needed SOPs. I needed processes to be able to train someone up. And so I I think that I was fairly competent at doing that from the beginning, like training someone up. Um, And that is a big cultural thing that we have today with bobsled as well that everyone is super process oriented you learned a lot of that from listening to marketing geeks right i mean you you said podcasts i'm sure (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. how long have you guys been podcasting for i'll just say whatever year it was that you started 2018 so it's okay yeah uh, but we started in june so we are at where where are we at right now the 14 14 we're at the 14 month point because i can look at my son and subtract one month from his birth date. And that's uh, where we're at. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, that's a, what, what a time to start a podcast. Exactly. So how did you end up where you are now? Right. So I, I started the company fully remote and I didn't meet Julie face-to-face for two years, um, which surprises people because today she is the president of the company. So awesome. And everyone, all 30 employees report directly up to her. Um, but I didn't meet her face to face for two years. And I think we've met in person over the last five years, um, five times. Yeah. So I'm going to Cleveland for the first time in a couple of months. So I I just bring that all up to say, I had this remote business that was, I I didn't, I didn't sit down in 2015 and say, okay, I'm going to start a agency and have 30 people and like do it all remotely. There was no plan like that. It was just like, how can I find someone who's like competent and uh, really affordable for me? So I was, you know, still on a shoestring budget. And so I really, I I found someone online who made sense across all the dimensions I was looking for. So I sort of accidentally built it that way. That's still like, you mean, 2015, we're talking about a four-year time window here. That's pretty quick to scale from basically zero to 30 employees uh, with a virtual marketing business. So hats off to you for that. And also, I feel like we just like massively made money for hiremymom.com. I think think they're going to just get all kinds of clients from this interview right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's great. I've actually... um, I think, yes, that they do really well because they have, it's, it's such a, as a mum myself as well, it's just like, it's so wrong to me that mothers are instantly kind of painted in this brush of, well, they're going to be, they're going to check out and not take their yeah. careers seriously, or they don't want to, you know, mums, they're just like anyone else. They, they want to do something challenging. They want something flexible but there's no diminished, there was no diminishing my ambition or my focus or my um, work ethic when I became a mother. And, and a lot of people say that becoming a parent actually gives them more of an edge. So I think that the uh, hi, my mom is, is, is a great concept and I have uh, really enjoyed working with them. So, so then, then like the, the big move happened. So, so tell mm. us about that. Yep. So, um, 
living in New York, ultimately during my pregnancy, decided to go back to Australia because my husband's Australian as well. We decided to go back to Australia to have our son and, um, and hung out there for six months, ran, ran the business from Australia for six months. And that was, that was difficult just because of the time zones, like a 12 hour time difference between Perth where we were and, and, um, the East coast of the U S. So that was, it wasn't, it wasn't possible for us to stay there, but we decided, Hey, you know, we've got, we do everything remotely. Why not, um, why not, instead of going immediately back to New York, why don't we go try and live somewhere else for a little bit, but make it on the same time zone and uh, make it somewhere warm and fun. So we we're looking at Spain, um, Panama, Colombia, and for some reason, Colombia sort of sifted its way to the top of the list. So we came here first. Colombia's in central time or eastern time, depending on uh, daylight savings. And, uh, we just didn't, didn't leave, ended up buying an <laughs> apartment here. And so we've been here almost two uh, years. Yeah. I imagine the cost of living is, is cheaper than New York also. Yes. You could say that. <laughs> so, I mean, was there, any, was there any big reason to that you wanted to get out of the U S or was it just like, Oh, it's nice and always warm here. And the, you know, I mean, what, was there any other underlying factors or was it just a matter of like, Columbia was beautiful and you just mm. wanted to stick around. Um, it's a, it's a lot of factors. We were in the U S for six years and had sort of, I think New York, um, uh, wears a lot of people down, sort of wore us down towards the end. And <laughs> so, um, the weather here is, is beautiful at 70 degrees every day of the year rains in the afternoons sometimes. And, and that's pretty much it. Like the weather is just sensational. Um, it's very, it's easy, easy to live here with the exchange rate and cost of living is really low. And it's just so different to what we grew up with in like a very white, um, Western country. And here is just, people do things very, very differently. And, um, do most people yeah. people speak Spanish there, or is there like a combination of English and Spanish, or what's like the dominant language over there? Oh, it's Spanish. Yeah, there's you can't really get by without without speaking some Spanish, and so that's been another challenge as well. Okay. Is yeah. is uh, is is learning Spanish to some degree of competency, which I'm I can't even <clears throat> say I'm, <laughs> I'm some degree of competent. But my son is um, he's almost three, and he's going to preschool and and. Uh, and he's only, he only speaks Spanish at school now too. So that's really yeah. good for me. And yeah, that's what happened to my kid. He's, he's yeah, uh, yeah. He's uh, I, I just sent him to a Dutch school because I'm in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, he speaks like super good Dutch. You know, he's five, and uh, he's about to turn five, and he, uh, you know, he's just he's I, I've been struggling with it, but he's just mm. like. <laughs> yeah, yes. they, they, they pick it up fast. So, um, yes. well, well, that's, that's pretty incredible. And, and as far as like the lifestyle goes, is it, um, uh, do you feel mostly safe about as safe as New York? Like what's mm. the, the, just the vibe overall for you? Yeah, I, I think 
there's there's places in so I'm in Medellin, which if you've watched Narcos, that's where all all of that stuff went down. So <laughs> I have like, not yet, but I need to watch that show. Yeah, yeah, it's you know I think here people have mixed feelings about it because it's brought a lot of interest, but also people kind of want to forget that decade of of <laughs> their country's history. So Scarface too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah so there's kind of mixed feelings here about about the popularity of that show but um it is there's places I wouldn't go to in the city but there's places in Chicago I wouldn't go to there's places in New York I wouldn't go to um so it, it's just one of those things you just keep your wits about you and you understand it's a big city and not every every neighborhood is going to welcome you in but there's, it, I feel the same way about many U.S. cities as well. It's not, um, yeah, so much so different. No, yeah. I'd like to, um, I'd like to kind of take it back to to Amazon and to business a, a little bit. Yeah, uh, but I, I want to know, like, okay, so you hired you hired um, the lady, the mom in in uh, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So now you have a team of three, basically. And so tell me about like, oh, and you, you mentioned that your husband was doing sales calls, but tell me how you acquired your early clients, like your first client, your, your early, maybe your first 10. Was this all cold mm. calling? Like you mentioned, I, I mean, I remember you saying your husband was, cold, was uh, calling. So I'm assuming there was a lot of cold calling involved or, or how are you attracting uh, these businesses? Because you're marketing, you're marketing to businesses that are doing 10 million in revenue. So you're going after kind of um, medium sized to bigger companies. Uh, so how did you go about the marketing efforts behind that to find the clients? So in the beginning, we were not working with $10 million companies. We were working with all startups, anyone that would have us and pay us, <laughs> we would work with them. <laughs> and so what we did was we actually used a, um, and I'm not sure I'd do this today, but back then we used a, uh, a lead gen company to help us do cold email outreach to specifically to people and companies on who'd raised, I think it was like over 200 K on Kickstarter for their mm. physical product. Creative. And so, yeah, this, this lead gen company just did all the heavy lifting of getting the list together and figuring out people's names and how much they raised and like personalizing the email. So instead of saying, instead of saying, Hey, Justin, um, this is Kiri. <laughs> yeah. Template, template, template. It was like, Hey, Justin, congrats on, on raising 300 K for your new yo-yo. That was, that was 400% more than you needed to raise. That's amazing. It was like customized with actual like percentage yeah. math in it. So that actually, that, that worked pretty well because it got people's attention and it looked like we'd really... It's funny you say that. We, we did an episode um, on cold emailing quite a while ago, probably like six months ago. But one of the mm. things that he shared on the show was uh, exactly what you just said, personalizing, like at least the first paragraph, first couple right. sentences to point out, like, even if you're going to like be on a podcast, point out like a recent episode, or um, if you're going to reach out to a company, give a statistic, uh, yep. give, give something specific, just like what you're saying. Uh, and yeah, that's exactly kind of what he taught. So it's cool to hear mm-hmm. that kind of reiterated for validation. So, yeah, yeah, so, st- so still using it, but yeah, that and, and that's a good one. And so like, like, did, did you say you used the third party to, to do lead yeah. gen uh, and, yes. and how, what was the, what was the cost? If you, if, if you can don't mind sharing that, how much is it like if somebody out there wanted to, get a lead gen company to do something like that. Is that an expensive thing to do or uh, how do you go about even finding a company like that? 
I'm not sure today if it would cost the same amount. I've really got no idea because we did that once and um, it worked, but we didn't have to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm struggling to remember. I can't, I honestly can't remember how much it was. It seems like a, it was like $2,000 to set up a campaign. I remember that. And then um, I think that was like 50 leads or something. Um, maybe that's too many. I, I, I can't really reliably say what it costs, but it seemed like a lot of money to me at the time. <laughs> of course. Um, and there was no guarantee that it was going to work and it did end up working exceptionally well for us. So um, I, I think that's the shame. That's the, that's the downfall of the lead gen business model. If you're, if you've got a company like that, if you do a really good job, then your clients might not need you anymore. Cause we did one campaign that worked really, really well. And then we didn't need that company anymore. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, we had somebody on the show just <laughs> two weeks ago talking about like curing baldness. We were just joking about like, <laughs> you really could cure it. Like it's just a one-off and then they're gone. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, that, yeah, that it, it's actually, that's kind of what my, what bobsled does in some cases as well is that after a while, and this is why you know, there's a new project that I'm working on and we can talk about a little bit, but a lot of clients that might work with us for a year or a couple of years or even a few months and then say, Hey guys have been so great. We're going to bring this in house now because you've taught us so yeah. much. So they outgrow you. They outgrow you. Yeah. Luck, hopefully they like you so much that they refer you down the line too, though. So yeah. Go ahead, Andres. Well, I was I was curious also. Uh, I have two two questions. Just one tying back to living in Colombia, uh, work visa. How do you how do you do you have to go into like Costa Rica every like ninety days? How does that work? Um, yeah. So if you don't want to get a resident visa, you can do that sort of hopping around kind of thing where you just spend six months in the country. You can spend up to six months per calendar year in the country. Um, but we actually, we, we bought an apartment and so we qualified for an investor visa here. Oh, that's cool. Um, and yeah. then the second, the second question I have is, um, uh, I want to, I, I want to get more into the nuts and bolts about Amazon itself and kind of what exactly is it that you do for a client uh, you know, like what, how do you, how do you like help a client and be seen? Um, and also how has the business changed? Yeah. So with bobsled, we call ourselves a full service Amazon agency. And what that means is we help brands with all their operational processes, everything from inventory forecasting to helping them create shipping plans and like literally sending inventory into Amazon to handling their customer service, to disputing fees with Amazon, to handling all of their cases. So that's all the operational stuff that needs to happen. Um, and then we also do organic marketing, which is your SEO and uh, product content optimization. So keyword research, putting the copy together, putting the templates together, making sure everything shows up really nicely on Amazon, that you're ranking for um keywords that you're interested in ranking for and then we also do advertising as well so the paid search advertising vehicles amazon has as well as their media um paid paid media 
So do you do a combination of Google paid search and Amazon paid search ads, or are you, um, is, the, is it PPC? Is that how Amazon mm -hmm. runs their ads? Because I've not run on the Amazon platform. I haven't run ads. So I don't, I'm not too familiar with the way they run their ad system. Can you tell me about that? Yes. So they have a PPC system, just like Google. It's auction-based, bid-based um, paid search. And we only handle Amazon. So that's been, that's been good for our sort of credibility as a company is that we just do Amazon. And so we don't ever get distracted with these other platforms. But at the same time, um, I think some brands really want to work with an agency that will do everything for them across all channels. And that can, I mean, really depends on the agency that you're working with. Some of them have that capability to have a true expertise in all channels, but I think it's mm. kind of difficult to find. So I, I agree. I tend to agree with you that um, I think, Agencies should be looked at niche specific wise, uh, mm. like look for what they do best and kind of hire there. I mean, unless it's like a gigantic advertising agency, like, you know, that has tons of employees, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are kind of relatively small. And so I would look more at the, at the niche side. So, so one thing I want to talk about mm. is um, because there's a million sellers on Amazon, how, how do you help like in terms of competition? So we have, let's say somebody has a product that there's uh, others that are like it on the market. How, how would you help them in terms of like visibility, getting found? I mean, I, I know okay, so PPC is one of them, obviously, but is there anything else that you would do to help with visibility on Amazon? Yeah, so PPC is going to be very helpful because not all, many, many sellers out of those million don't run advertising at all. And so it means if you're running PPC advertising, it means it's the only way to reliably get to the top of search results. So you can pay your way to the top essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why if you search for Samsonite spinner luggage, it's not Samsonite. something else shows up that's not <laughs> Samsonite, right? At the top of search results. Yep. Pretty smart. So, <laughs> so um that is certainly the most reliable way to get to the top of search and get in front of people and maybe take one of Samsonite's customers. But you don't want all of your sales to come from advertising because that gets expensive pretty quickly. So you want to also be looking at organic ranking factors, which for Amazon means what's your recent sales history? So you do you have a more popular product than the luggage company next to you? Mm. And uh, if you have more sales than them on an average daily basis, then you will get all other things being equal, you will get ranked higher in search results. What about reviews? How important are reviews uh, for search rankings? Uh, are they as important as daily volume and sales or are they less important? Or they, does it matter that they're you know verified review, verified buyer? Or can you tell me about reviews? Yeah, so they don't have a direct impact on ranking. Okay. They help with conversion because from a social proof. Stand, so, yeah. Social proof, exactly. So if you've got more, if you've got, if you've got hundreds more or even thousands more um, product reviews, but they're all five star and they all came in within a week, and like people are cottoning on to the fact that the system can be gamed a little bit, <laughs> and um, shoppers are pretty savvy when they're looking at, at reviews as well. So it needs to be credible, but so you could have a large number of reviews, but be less credible and have a lower conversion rate and therefore like rank lower. In to, that, um, to that point about like kind of gaming the system, is there any way to game the, um, 
you bought this, uh, people that buy this tend to buy this next product. Is there any way to game that part of the system? Um, I'm just kind of curious because that, that seems to be a nice way of upselling people from one product right. to another. And I'm wondering, like, how does Amazon determine that? Is that just algorithm based? And that's just kind of like, this is true yeah. behavior? Or is there a way of sellers kind of um, manipulating or not, maybe not manipulating, but alter, you know, um, intentionally <laughs> changing gaming it? Gaming it. Yeah, just gaming yeah. the system. Uh, it's all algorithm based and there's no real way to, to gain that. What, what you, what you could do if you, if you want to get two of your products together is run promotions that are like buy one, get one promotions where you might have a, um, uh, a pair of sunglasses and a sunglasses case and then have like a discount where if you buy the sunglasses, you get the case of those two products together. And then eventually Amazon will recognize that those two products get bought together a lot and they might start placing them in that frequently bought together um, tile. But there's no, that's, you could also run those promotions on social and like provide that discount. The more people that are buying two products together, the more they will be linked with that. Kind of a long game strategy there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no... I am opposed to black or gray hat tactics of any kind on Amazon. The consequences are so steep and it's just not worth it. It's not worth any kind of short-term benefit. What are the consequences? What are they doing to people right now? You, you get your product suspended, you get your account suspended. And in cases where you get your account suspended, sometimes they'll block your company from opening an account ever again. Wow. And so and, for and a big company, and you've got to listen to the marketing geeks like twenty episodes in a row. <laughs> That's right. They sit you down. They do the. They don't let you close your eyes. You've got to listen to the to the full back catalog. Full, full <laughs> um, clockwork orange with your eye. I mean, it's a it's a podcast. But <laughs> never do it again. <laughs> so yeah. um, the the so the question uh, I have is is. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of marketers out there who want to like, here's a perfect example. Like here in the Netherlands, Amazon is not quite here yet, but mm-hmm. I know it's, it, they're, they're planning on showing up here at some point. <laughs> Any minute. Um, mm-hmm. And I've actually, I've actually thought about this, like, oh, it would be like, as soon as they get here, uh, going to like smaller businesses to get them on Amazon mm-hmm. would probably be a pretty good endeavor because nobody really knows how to work the system here. Uh, so how, what would you recommend to me if I wanted to start that type of business and give up this lucrative (laughs) podcasting? Um, I'm your competition there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, find, find a cheap lead gen company. Use the email template that I did. No, um, it is, well, I was very interested as an Australian. I was very interested when Amazon finally launched in Australia as well. Um, the challenge is that Amazon is completely dominates U.S. commerce, but in in other markets is not quite as big a thing. And even even as close as Canada, um, a lot of the time um, it's just from a brand's perspective. So much there's so much more logistics and cost involved in setting up on Amazon Canada that they price their products higher there. A lot of Canadians end up buying from the U.S. site and having it forwarded over. And then in Australia, it just took a long time to get up and running. And these international markets are um, just not as well uh, 
used as in the US. And so especially if the market is small, it could be challenging to make it um, a, a big enough a big enough um, mm-hmm. project. But I mean, is it is it still uh, the type of business where maybe a small smaller marketer can yes. get into that? Yeah. So how how would how would somebody who doesn't know anything about that what would you what would be the advice that you would give somebody <laughs> like one of our seven listeners if they wanted to be a an Amazon um, consultant or get on Amazon with their product? Like what well, what would you recommend to somebody? This might be a good segue because don't you have a book coming out there, Kiri? Yeah, I've I've got a book, but uh, the the project that I've been working on is um is called the Marketplace Institute, and what I found from working with so many brands over the years and and speaking with thousands more is that a lot of them, whether they're large or small, want to ultimately grow their own in-house Amazon capability. And so they don't always want to have to rely on an agency or on a consultant to do absolutely everything for them because it's become a more important channel. They'd Mm. rather keep some institutional knowledge sticking around. They'd rather invest in their team. They could probably save a few bucks. Um, And so I uh, have spent the last few months working on this project called the Marketplace Institute that provides, it's kind of, it's a learning platform. It's a Wikipedia of everything that we've developed, all of our processes and checklists and best practices that we've developed at Bobsled Marketing over the years, as well as peer masterminds where you can, you can um, get together with a curated group of a few other people and talk about what's working and not with your brand on Amazon. And then also the first Amazon helpline, which is something that kept coming up over and over again with e-commerce directors, e-commerce managers. It's like, oh, it's just, there's no Amazon helpline. There's no one to really bounce things off when I've got a very specific issue that someone has never written a blog post about. So my short answer to that question is if you are um, a consultant or someone looking to set up uh, like a, a support, a business supporting brands on Amazon, check out the Marketplace Institute because that's somewhere where we are going to help consultants actually um, provide the same like processes and, and tools that we would as an agency and sort of and help others that in, way. Uh, where and when can we expect to find that uh, available? That launches on September 16. Oh, pretty quick. Okay. Right. And then, do you, um, and do you have a price point of- on that? Like how much, how much are you going to be uh, charging for that? So during the beta stage, which is t- two months and we're only going to let a hundred people in. Nice. Um, so the, the, the knowledge base, which is the wiki of all of us, I think we're at 85 processes and checklists and things like that right now, as well as weekly news updates and uh, weekly office hours, like calls where we'll jump on and answer people's questions as they come in. Um, during beta, that's $75 a month. And then for the to be matched in a peer mastermind and have that group be placed in that group and have that coordinated and have like a, a bobsled Amazon expert join that call as well every two weeks, that is also $75 a month during beta. Separately, so a separate seventy-five. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, very reasonable. Um, wow. I mean, that's like, yeah. I, I think you're too cheap, but that's okay. <laughs> it's the yeah. I I, I agree. I, I just 
with the pricing, it's just something where I knew 100% it was going to change. And so I didn't put a whole lot of like, I just knew it was going to change. So go out with a, with a nice price, get people in, get lots of feedback. And then, um, and where would people go to, to register for one of those remaining 25 slots or however many you have left? It's just the marketplaceinstitute.com. Okay. So the marketing institute.com. I'm sorry, the marketing institute place.com, correct? The marketplace institute.com. The marketplace institute.com. Got it that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the, uh, uh, down below in the, in the description and, and where, uh, if it, like, where else can we find you if, if, if anyone has questions, uh, and they, they want to find out more. Sure. I'm most active on LinkedIn. You can find me Kiri masters. And if you send me a connection request, just say that you listen to this podcast. I'll definitely accept. Okay. Unless it's me, right? Because, uh, like, yeah, that, that I might guy. not accept your request. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to connect with you right now. So you better, you better, uh, live on air here. I'm, I'm <laughs> doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, well, listen, I, I really, uh, appreciate your, uh, time and, uh, you know, talking to us, finding out, uh, more about it. Amazon is a very, you know, it's a very deep rabbit hole, uh, obviously. And we want to, um, uh, you know, we, we want all of our uh, people here to be empowered to definitely do this. Do you see, do you see the future? Like, what do you see the future of Amazon being, uh, you know, being that you're deep in it? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, um, I think that Amazon's going to get broken up either by themselves yeah. or by the regulators. Yeah, there's, there's, there's they're handing themselves too many wild cards with their private label products and, and all that. And with, with their Amazon's own private label brands, there's over 400 of them. And, um, I just don't see it as a profit center for them. And I, my, my assessment of that whole business model for them is that they're really just trying to fill their assortment in and say, okay, you could get a $400 Patagonia hiking jacket, or you could get something from a Chinese seller for $40. Um, if you want something in the middle, but nothing exists, then we're going to create a brand of hiking products at a hundred dollar price point because nothing exists like that. And we don't want our Amazon, Amazon doesn't want its shoppers to go anywhere else for anything. So my strong belief is that they don't care about making money with those products. They just want to fill holes in, in their assortment because they just can't make that much money with, with these products. So I don't understand why they have um, sort of given themselves preferential like ad placements that other sellers and vendors don't have access to. And there's no proof of, of this, but there's some, some circumstantial evidence. Yeah. There's some hypothetical, like, Oh, maybe they're giving themselves a leg up in the organic search results as well, which I'm, I'm not sure I specifically believe, but, um, I just think that they've really, um, not done themselves any favors because they've been getting a lot of negative attention with this and, yeah. and they're going to eventually they just decide to stop doing that because it's not worth the negative press. Um, 
well, or actually, uh, spin them out. Um, well, I, I wanted to say too, because I was looking through your Twitter feed and you had an article link here about how there's a, an important case on Amazon where they, um, they claim that they facilitate the interactions between buyers and sellers on the marketplace and therefore they don't need to be paying sales tax. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's going to mm-hmm. change? Like, do you think, I mean, I guess yep. it matters who's in office, but do you, do yeah. you see like um, taxes yes. becoming a big, because that would shift. I mean, that's got to be a ton of money they would have to pay if that were to shift. So uh, how would that mm-hmm. affect Amazon? Um. Yes, that, that would be a big one. I, it's not, it all happens state by state, which is the challenging yeah. thing. So they have to treat sellers in different states differently. And then sales tax is also based on where, which um, state or tax jurisdiction the customer was in as well. So it's, it's complicated business, but Amazon's been figuring all that out for yeah. decades for the, for the, for the brands that sell to them on a wholesale basis, they have always collected sales tax for the brands that sell to Amazon on a wholesale basis. They've just refused to do it for the marketplace sellers. And it's like, well, I'm sure that there is some switch they could turn to, to make that capability available and they've refused to do it. And, and in my opinion, they're trying, they're speaking out both sides of their mouth to say, we're just a marketplace, so we shouldn't be responsible for collecting sales tax. All we do is bring buyers and sellers together, so we could not possibly get involved with that. And then at the same time, the way that they treat sellers and the way that they talk about a seller's relationship with a end customer is like, no, that is our customer. You cannot contact them. You can't have anything to do with them. We're going to yeah. meter out like a little bit of data here, but they are our customer. And it's like, okay, well which one are you? Are you a pure marketplace that doesn't have anything to do except bring buyers and sellers together? It's not really how they've been acting. Um, and so I think that their whole argument of not being a, uh, not being required, they, that, that they shouldn't be required to collect sales taxes is baloney. And, and I guess uh, this is why yeah. uh, Bezos has bulked up and he's like, you know, he's all muscular now. So then in case somebody <laughs> challenges him on this, he can, he can scare them away. Exactly. <laughs> you see, he, he used to look like, like young Bill Gates. And now he looks like he can just crush you with his mind. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be he really interesting. Crush you with his brain as well. I just he's think he's definitely oh, smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it'll yeah. it'll be interesting to see where Amazon goes because you know I have this love hate relationship with them. On the one yeah. hand, uh, my mother actually worked for them before she uh, passed away, and uh, she kind of gave me the inside scoop. And you know, he, they they treat the employees like robots, and it's mm. also hurting mm. a lot of businesses. There's a there's a lot of mm. negatives uh, to you know just Amazon as mm. an entity. But on the other hand, I get to have my popcorn popper by like Thursday. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's, um, eh, you know, so, but, um, mm-hmm. wrapping, we're wrapping up here. I, I do want to give you one last chance here. Cause I know you, uh, I'm on your Twitter and you have this, you're, you're promoting, uh, Amazon for CMOs.com and you're promoting um, mm-hmm. a book that you're releasing. Can you, can you plug that mm-hmm. real quick? I want you to be able to plug that. And then also talk about your po- You have a podcast that says here too. So we'll talk yeah. about it. Um, yes. So, in addition to running the agency, starting the Marketplace Institute, being a podcast host, writing for Forbes and 
missing something as well. I also decided <laughs> to write a book, another book. I published one in Why 2016 so as well. Time. That's right. That's right. God forbid if I'd ever like have 10 minutes to myself. Um, yeah. So Amazon for CMOs, I partnered up with another agency, um, Amazon agency owner in New York, Mark Power, who has a lot of experience in the, in the branding and media space. And we wrote this book, Amazon for CMOs, which is really for an executive, uh, leadership audience, um, typically larger brands looking to figure out Amazon, how should they set up their internal organizational structure? How should they think about budgeting for innovation? How should they think about working with partners? And, um, yeah, it's been, I spend a lot of time talking about quite fairly tactical Amazon stuff. And so this was, this was an interesting one to put together where we actually interviewed 15, 20, CMOs and retail leaders to get their own input, um, to the book as well. So, um, yeah, that one that's launching on September 24th and you can get it on Amazon or you could go to Amazon for CMOs.com to get, uh, notified when that launches. So you can get it for free on Kindle the, f- the first week that it's out. Awesome. Wow, we well, you are crushing it. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, and so uh, you know, uh, keep it, keep up the good work. I, I actually, my wife and I have talked a little bit about uh, maybe getting a tiny house in Costa Rica. So who knows? Maybe we'll, oh. you know. And if you guys ever get to the Netherlands, by all means, uh, you know, we can uh, go get some coffee at a coffee shop here. All right, uh, I might have you know. to uh, accept your LinkedIn invitation then. <laughs> you did. You you accepted it right right on the phone. You, oh, damn uh, it. <laughs> yeah. You're too late. You can't you can't back out now. Uh, all right. Well, Carrie uh, Masters, everybody, thank you so so much for being on the show. And uh, you know we we want to have you guys. back. Uh, bring us on your podcast. You know. To, yeah. To, Get that going, and you got you to tell us though. Uh, what are you geeky about? Because we, we like on the marketing geeks where we talk about uh, we talk about geekiness. We 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 could geek out on movies, we geek out on marketing, we geek out on business. But what what are you geeky about? And, and maybe maybe tell us a little bit about this lamp habit of yours. I I think that I'm pretty. Is it in in terms of the depth of Amazon geekiness? I'd, I'd say I'm pretty deep geek status on Amazon. Um, and I, I think with the lamp stuff as well, yeah, I did actually, the first book that I wrote and published is called Old Lamps, New Life, which you can also find on Amazon today as well, um, which is all about how to rewire <laughs> antique lamps. So I guess I'm, I'm making the case for like, just go, whatever you are geeky about, just go full geek on that thing and you will figure out a way to... Um, make it work and, and turn it into a living somehow because those, yeah, you, you couldn't tell me early in my life that I would make money from selling lamp pots and, <laughs> <laughs> and talking about Amazon all day. I think that's a great quote to leave it on. Go full geek. I like that. Or, or in the immortal words of, uh, 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 from Anchorman, I love lamp. I love lamps. <laughs> I, I, I love lamps. That was uh, Greg Tomlin or Tamlin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Curie uh, yeah, Masters, you everybody. Thank you so, so much. Have a, you know, and, and go out there and, and crush it. Do, do your thing. Yay. Marketing Geeks. Stay classy.